0: Well, good morning. Um, good morning, Jennifer Englund. You're my, I don't know, 103rd guest on this podcast. And welcome to the Economy Wellbeing Podcast, or the Economics Wellbeing. I never get the, the, the term right, but uh, <laughs> uh, we've known each other for a long time. And um, I thought we would talk about your work and, and your your career and, and what you're doing now in terms of as a consultant and the field of leadership and what you're observing. And as you work with different clients and on this kind of vast area of leadership and try to weave that into the well-being thing theme so uh, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, we'll just we'll just uh, have fun in this conversation
1: that's great thank you so much for having me mark well i am based in the yukon territory Dun first nation and the taan quachan council and i've been in the yukon northern canada uh, for 20 years, and landed here after graduate school um, in Vancouver at UBC, where I was pursuing feminist geography as a, a graduate degree, oh. and then spent some time for a couple of years in the downtown east side doing frontline work at the largest women's center in Western Canada, so the downtown east side women's center, wow. and. We yeah, my partner and I just had a longing to be closer to the wilderness, and while Vancouver was incredible, it was always fighting traffic to get onto the North Shore. So we we moved to the Yukon to the north and thought we'd only be there for a year. And like so many of us, the story goes that we never left and raised two kids here, who are uh, I have two teen two two teen children. And I have, yeah, I guess, landed an amazing job in the public service. I was the head of the gender equality department for almost 17 years in the Yukon and loved that work and then found my way to integral coaching. And I went back and did my coach training in about 2013 and then became a full-time leadership coach in 2019, so for the last three years, and really... Um, excited to do deeper work with leaders in the social change-making space. So here, yeah, bit of a trajectory and, you know, found myself yeah. loving and living in the North.
0: Fantastic. And you, well, you have a podcast too. I think I was your guest. And um, so what I, I'm curious, uh, I, I know you're parents very well and it's fitting that you're attracted to the north because your parents are both uh, legendary arctic researchers and spent their summers i think in the the very far north uh what are you what are you um given your your work in government and and now your your work with uh clients and, and in the consulting space what are you What are you finding in terms of the whole leadership theme and what people why are people i was curious why people are drawn to leadership coaches and uh and and that whole notion of leadership because leadership isn't something that is taught per se though uh some of i know our girls went through the leadership program in high school here in edmonton and that actually shaped their life i think it was the most important uh, class they could take but, of course, it was worth nothing as credit when they went into the school of business. You, even though leadership is the, you know, it's one of those those skill sets that uh, is lasting for life. So can you talk about what what your um this whole area of leadership again, which is
1: yeah, it's a it's a great question. And it's a huge question. And I think, how would I begin to answer that? I mean, I I was reflecting the other day of the first time I ever heard the word leader and I was in grade three. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was in a gym class with, and we were learning how to ballroom dance, something random. You know what you do in the early 80s in, in Alberta. <laughs> and I remember I was dancing with this boy partner and he said to me, Oh, Jennifer, you're you're not a follower. You're you're a leader. And I remember that moment was really, it stands out for me. I think because I probably tried to keep taking over. (laughs) And so this idea that there was something in me that wanted to create a direction, create the pace, and in this very embodied way. And in a way, I was reflecting on that story the other day because I think in some ways, he was pointing out very generously, a gift I naturally had. And the same time he was pointing out this polarity, that you're either a leader or you're a follower. And Uh. I think I find that idea problematic, in that there's this idea that if you're a leader, you're in front, you're making the decisions, or you're charismatic enough to you know, influence a large group of people. And while that's true, I think it ends up really reinforcing some of these ideas. And I've been thinking a lot about this, that there is something to control, there's something to fix, there's something that if I use my will, and my influence strongly enough, then I can make things happen. And of course, this is partially true. Like, I get that. But I feel like, I'm much more interested in this moment in demilitarizing some of the language around leadership. I think a lot of our language about strategy, our language about complexity continues to emphasize this idea that we're separate from one another and that we can somehow control our conditions to get what we want. And so it's just an interesting tension and I think I'm interested in problematizing it because the, the challenges before us are so complex. The challenges before us need more than our rational minds, need more than our strategy. And I think that's where I'm really interested in new ideas, new metaphors, and new ways of understanding leadership such that we compost these outdated ways of the individual, the leader follower polarity, and start to engage a much more organic and interconnected way of being with each other in the problems, and staying with the trouble, if I could quote um, a friend of ours, bio, Akamalafe. Um Yeah, so maybe I'll just pause there. I said a lot and just see what resonates with you and
0: well, I yeah, we both know Bio, and I met him at the Economics of Happiness conference in um, Byron Bay in Australia for a long time ago now. Uh, and wonderful African um, inspirational leader, <laughs> shall mm-hmm. we say. I'm actually curious about. I think our connection, our interest, common interest too, is the the whole indigenous or First Nations. Uh, I've learned even the word indigenous may be a pejorative term, uh, or Inaccurate. So um, your your reflections on what, if any, whether First Nations have anything to to teach us about leadership, or shall I say, through an integral? I know you you mentioned um, uh, integral thinking, but the the notion of learning in circle that all the you know the answers I find when we sit in circle are there in the circle. And I would try to do this as a professor in business school here at U of A is like rather me being just the professor and projecting or sharing my, my knowledge, but rather to engage this, the students because uh, the word education means to draw forth what's within you. That's what it means. And so I'm curious, do you have any reflections on what you've learned from being in the Yukon and uh, from First Nations in terms of what are they doing? teaching you are they reflecting anything back to you about this whole you know rediscovery I guess of of to me what leadership means in my view which is the sharing of the the, the diversity of gifts that we all have right
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I would say that you know what comes to mind is just the incredible um the dedication and passion for something bigger than just what's in front of us is always at the forefront of every meeting every project that one starts there's always what I've learned is that we're always thinking seven generations ahead. And in the Yukon, you know, many of the chiefs and leaders develop this incredible framework um, um, for our children for our children today. How does it go for our children today, for our children tomorrow? I'm, I'm now a <laughs> Um. So there, the chiefs here in the Yukon, I mean, there is the highest level of self-governance in the country is here. It, and it was the f- foresight back in the 70s to be able to understand what residential schools and colonization had done to territory and to um, people and culture, and there was an interest to understand and learn the non-Indigenous ways of knowing and being in order to secure self-governing rights and self-determination and cultural reclamation for all nations in, in the Yukon. And so just this incredible ability to both center culture and cultural ways of knowing, as well as integrating and learning and using law and legal frameworks and being able to negotiate incredibly strategically. And so for me, that was just amazing to see these weaving of skill sets, but also being able to presence ritual, to presence ancestors, to presence the unseen and to presence the spiritual and heart. At every at every juncture. And so for me, what I've learned is that we can't work on anything without engaging all members of the community and recognizing that's hard and you need to work with representation. But this idea of inclusion, inclusion of indigenous voices at every stage of any decision making about our economic resources, what we're doing with the land, land management, and so forth. So I've learned so much from the elders and the youth that have always been brought into circle. And the presencing of ancestors and through ritual and prayer, and invoking gifts that invite and welcome everyone into a circle. And that that's as exactly as you said, that's where, you know, you're presencing the gifts, the wisdom, the experience from everyone in the room and everyone is welcome and everyone has a voice.
0: That's so beautiful. And I know it's without kind of appropriating their culture here, you know, you and I are uh, of the privileged class, Mm -hmm. Uh, but but I, I do, I'm so humbled working with them because they have so much to remind us of and teach us. That we may have forgotten ourselves in our long European whatever ancestry. Uh, are you are you speaking of what's the primary um, language group? Is it Dené? Is it um, what who, who are you engaged mostly with, or have you been in the Yukon?
1: Southern Southern Toshone, where I live is the is the language and also um yeah Southern Toshoni. and so for me my when I worked as a public servant that primarily was working in Whitehorse in the Kwanlin First Nation and the Tan Kwa Chan Council um but there's also um Kaska there's 14 language groups in the Yukon so it's incredibly diverse han um and so forth so yeah, it's it's just an incredibly diverse community of indigenous peoples and, mm-hmm.
0: wow. So this is uh, yeah, it's a very rich um, subject and when I'm fully immersed in uh, as well, and so I'm, I feel like it would be fun to discuss, you know, what what it is they have to teach us, and I'm particularly interested in your uh, your perspective given your work in feminist geography. I think that's what you call it, yeah. Uh, and and specifically the role of the you know what we're see- what I'm seeing here and amongst the nations I'm working with is uh, the attempt to restore the matriarch councils. So the, the importance of women uh, in in actually defining, well, determining leadership, especially you know the clan structures would be the the matriarchs kind of identifying the males as as leaders um as chiefs and uh those chiefs may be chiefs for life and i don't know if that's the same in the yukon amongst the language groups there but it's something i've seen with the hudnisoni the iroquois in uh six nations in the east and even amongst a few in, in alberta here and amongst the cree so any thoughts on from a feminist uh from a female perspective what uh Given what you just said about, you know, leading that boy on the dance floor rather than uh... yeah. <laughs> I'm well, trying to make I... the light of this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I mean, definitely what I've witnessed and learned from my indigenous colleagues and friends and just the community gatherings that I've been at. I'm I'm no expert and better to speak with one of my colleagues, probably. But what I can tell, of course, it's matrilineal um, societies here in the Yukon. And they're not chiefs for life here in the Yukon. But definitely, women are some some of the strongest leaders I know are women, and gender equality and appreciating the oppression that has accompanied colonialism and patriarchy in terms of the oppression of indigenous women particularly through violence gender based violence you know and and the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls inquiry that was um was just completed a couple of years ago indicates that obviously there's genocide in the in the country and also genocide towards indigenous women and girls and so Yukon women have been incredibly indigenous women have been incredibly outspoken and in fact the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls inquiry started in the yukon and ended there and so i think that's a testament to how strong those voices are and ever while understanding that gender is a construct and also european you know interpretations or philosophical interpretations of gender are also have their limitations because there's a real what i've learned a real honoring of women's roles and also non-binary understanding Mm -hmm. it's not just a you know male female but there's a role for two-spirited and non-binary indigenous folks that is very um that's also accompanies a a perspective and a wisdom that isn't always reflected elsewhere and so it's incredibly important so I've just learned I think continuing that there's always unlearning there's always unknowing in the way that gender is informing our, the ways in which we approach decision-making and who's in the room and who's not. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I just feel humbled and always a learner when I'm in those, in those circles.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the beauty in um, our shared experience of circle processes and uh, that there's you know like i i observe the answers often in the are in the circle to the questions that are are on our minds perhaps uh what just shifting to your your actual so your practice of what you're doing now and coaching and uh what what do you uh what what is a common yearning or common subject matter for your for those you're engaging
1: a common yearning would be a desire for really meaningful work meaningful work that lights up the whole person so it lights up your heart engages your um your soul it engages your spirit you feel connected in community i think there's a real longing for doing work in in such a way that your whole person is engaged and you're making a difference you're you're moving something forward often for my clients in the in the work of social change or climate work, um, environmental sustainability. So I think that's a huge longing. Born out of one COVID, you know, so much isolation and so much Zoom time, but also born out of at times being um kind of disheartened by the the intensity of the bureaucracy or a corporation, the culture that may not really emphasize creativity and the imagination and diverse perspectives and voices. Mm-hmm. So this longing is often a, a response to, I don't think I found my thing yet, or I thought I did. And now I feel like I need to pivot. So there's, so there's that kind of dynamic in terms of a longing. And then I would say that the other piece of it is the struggles, where there's some common struggles, and the common struggles seem to be in the overwhelm and level of complexity, just that whole image of like drinking out of a fire hose (laughs) and just feeling like you're taking so much in. And, you know, you're also caring for young children. You might be caring for aging parents. You want to be an engaged community member, you know, all the kind of ways that, you know, this expectation of being someone who's a caring, engaged human, but just can't keep up with all the details and the overwhelm. And so there's a real desire to feel more confident and grounded in all the distraction, the noise, and the urgency. I would say there's a really common thread where I can see there's this culture of urgency in our workplaces and in our leadership work. And there's a real desire. It's not always seen, but my work is often, how do we work with the whole person to work by deep, not co-creating the urgency, but actually being able to ground our bodies and our nervous systems enough that we can engage and turn on our creative, imaginative genius.
0: Mm. beautiful beautiful uh one of the discussions uh subjects that uh a few of us are my colleagues are having internationally is that that sort of longing for spirituality in the workplace or how do we bring our spiritual essence to the workplace in a way that is uh, respected and uh and this notion i know i think you're referring to ken wilber's work but um you know the this notion of consciousness even like uh, you know what however you define i don't know how you define consciousness but uh, let's say a level of awareness of who you are right and that then brings us back to the seven what's so the, the the four the notion of the medicine wheel like we are if we are the four aspects of mental physical spiritual emotional right how do we bring all of that uh to the workplace in a in a harmonious way so any reflections
1: on? Yeah, I I would just really appreciate that longing for with you and your colleagues, because I think it is one that is a common when we go back to the whole person, the spiritual is a component of who we are, it's a dynamic of who we are. And often, something that's often separated from the workplace isn't something that people want to talk about, or they just don't think it's relevant. And Mm -hmm. Definitely in the Yukon, what I've noticed is that, you know, indigenous friends and colleagues of mine often bring it in. And that's part of the cultural reclamation is spiritual, spiritual integration in everyday life that, and Mm. I've been so appreciative and I've seen what it can do using ritual in meetings you know that often are national in scope or engage high level political leaders, or it engages a huge as it, inquiry as it can ground and bring into clarity about why why we care, why it matters, why now, and especially when you're drowning in overwhelm, I feel like that a capacity to be able to take a step back, and, and you mentioned the word consciousness. You know, being able to see the bigger picture to take a place of grounded presence and being able to a be really present in our mind heart body integration in order to presence what needs to come into being what needs to be seen what needs to be um, taken care of or tended i find those with capacities in the spiritual line are often able to do that or to guide all of us who are, you know, we're all on autopilot, you know, in full on sort of the, going back to the idea of individuality or that I'm separate or that, you know, me as a leader, I'm going to find the solution to this problem. The spiritual capacities that, and the spiritual presence that people can bring is that it emphasizes this idea that we're interdependent. Number one, that there is unseen wisdom and that we can presence it. and also that it really, um, it it undergirds this idea of our creative dynamic life force that each one of us has that that is wanting to find expression and form. And so for me, that is a, an essential, component I think of discovery not every leader wants to discover it but for those that do and for those that can integrate it into their work there's a deep enrichment that I've seen that's really um not just powerful but it it creates this energetic creative presence filled capacity in a room that has a distinct quality that's very different
0: wonderful thank you so um- I guess I'm. I'm going to ask you. What? Why does your phone ring, or why do you get emails from people who uh, seek you out? And um, in, in this kind of theme of well-being and or being, right? And and uh, you, which you've touched on. And so maybe without divulging all your corporate secrets, but uh, yeah, yeah. Because often as yeah. we laugh, you know, I think you and I talked about you know how how terrifying it is to go come from a government job to consulting right and mm-hmm. why, why would the phone ring for um, for us and what, mm-hmm. so what does the phone ring for you and what what do people find meaningful in your counsel?
1: I think for me what people look for is someone with a lot of leadership. Experience. I have twenty, almost twenty years of leading in the public service and the nonprofit, and and also have an academic background. So I think there's people are are appreciating, you know, my experience in leading teams, in particular, and leading at the interface between the political and the um, public, in especially within the government context, but also as somebody who's been engaged in nonprofit work for a long time. So often folks are coming to me because they want to pivot to something more meaningful. And I think they, you know, I, I jumped off of the government. um, I jumped out after (laughs) almost 17 years and I took a real risk. I took a risk of being a beginner again, of learning how to start and create my own business, which is um, embodied leadership coaching, but also that I also began to write and I, have a podcast and so there's a deeper body of work that I'm pursuing. Right. And so I tend to attract people who are, you know, wanting to do deeper inner work in the context of leadership and don't want the a typical executive leadership coach. They want someone who is asking deeper questions. They want to be supported for them to be living those deeper questions and discovering parts of themselves that they didn't know Um, existed before and so there's you know people who come to me are looking for deeper work they they notice that okay I keep trying this thing and it's for whatever reason it's not working anymore it's not working I can't connect with my team I can't work through this conflict or tension I can't seem to be able to um, make this creative dream of mine happen in you know in a timeline that feels Um, enlivening to me. And so folks are either wanting to up level their leadership up level, I don't love that term, but I in terms of really wanting to strengthen, they see a particular edge that they're up against, and their current capacities aren't able to aren't able to meet it. So there's a gap between where they are and where they want to be, or they're deeply wanting to pivot to more meaningful deeper work. So that tends to be the two reasons people call me. And then thirdly, because they want to do team coaching. And so I'm also doing work with teams, in terms of being able to help them become more purpose and effective and high performing. And being able to you mentioned the word consciousness and awareness, being able to be both self aware in the moment as an individual, but also aware of the dynamics that are happening at the team level you know, particularly for executive executive teams who are trying to make big things happen in the world, how do we move you from more transactional teamwork to more transformational teamwork? And when we're so inundated with urgency and inflammation, that's a really challenging thing to ask people to do is actually to slow down and become more self-aware and group aware in the moment to think about what new moves might be invited in In order to move the team, um, the team forward.
0: Right, right. So we have a a few minutes left, but uh, I'm just curious on on that the notion of uh, you know, you know, I probably you're familiar with Myers Briggs and these VIA Strengths Finders, these kind of characteristic qualities. When we fill out these surveys, we can, you know, I've been measuring well being through survey work, but. Do you, uh, do you use any of these, these other tools for like character strength finders to help people understand their, their kind of interrelationships within the workplace? Um, Are those useful or do you just, um, or are those at all tools that you kind of use? Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I used to, I mean, many, maybe 20 years ago took the Myers-Briggs and I, you know, I found it a bit useful at the time, but I think, for my work, I use the integral framework. So from integral coaching canada, we we use an integral sort of assessment framework where so not not strengths finder per se. Mm-hmm. but I can see very easily what are some of the capacities in what domain are the capacities where someone, is really strong and where are they struggling in the context of their topic so mm-hmm. whatever so that's what i appreciate is that we narrow down the focus of what is the territory we're working in and in that territory how are what is your current way of approaching this what are your conditioned beliefs what are your go to moves how do you check at the end of the day that you know you're okay or that you're loved or you know you've done all right And looking at that current way, you can start to see a more nuanced and dynamic range of behaviors and strengths and challenges that I find is when, when each individual can see that it is way more helpful than any Myers-Briggs or even the limits of the Enneagram or some of those assessments can do because you're seeing where it's alive in the moment and that's you know when you can see that oh I I keep doing this thing in this moment and like oh why am I doing that okay I I can start to see as I play with some new moves mm-hmm. that chat they actually challenges some of the beliefs I've held that are no longer useful so I find in the work we're doing we're 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 sort of dancing between a current way of being that is there because it's the best attempt at that someone has in carrying out something that they feel is really important to them. Mm. So maybe I'll land it with an example because that's kind of more helpful. So I have a lot of leaders who tend to act like warriors in their day to day who believe that their job as a leader is to pick a fight or engage in a battle, find a solution and put out the fires, you know, always be scanning and scanning for the enemy. That might just be a metaphor that I might work with, with some leaders, but trying to understand why they're driven into that way of being that they find now is actually depleting their nervous system such that they have no more energy, they're the verge of burnout, or that they can't sustain any creative imaginative way of approaching harder and harder problems. And so for each person, then we can get really particular and curious about what are the, what are, you know, honoring the strengths of that way of being Mm -hmm. like, okay, you are incredibly, um, you're incredibly resilient. You are incredibly, um, you know, this ability to fight or to figure out who the enemy is, there's, there's an upside to that. So there's a real honoring of their way of being, and yet witnessing where it no longer serves them. So then we start to explore like, okay, what are these edges, where that that way of being that way of showing up with a funder, for example, or with your team is not serving you and is actually undermining where you want to go. Wow. And so then there's a movement to a new way of being of which it's a set of capacities often with some new beliefs that they experiment and find themselves, you know, find themselves, discover themselves. We end up um, developing over a period of six months or nine months such that by the end, that old way of being becomes something that, um, So Sorry. go ahead.
0: Go ahead. I think we got cut off by Zoom but um you you were uh... so,
1: Yeah, I'll to say maybe that there the strengths finder and myers briggs there's there can be really helpful elements of them any kind of assessment um and those are partial and I think for me what I've just found most useful is working as dynamically in the, and in the moment um, with people to discover what their strengths are in the context of whatever challenge or longing they have, and then helping them to grow complementary skills and strengths and capacities that enable them to have a new embodied way of being in their leadership or in their life that is that is um that's sustainable
0: mm-hmm. perfect, perfect. so often um, try to conclude. So the the you're you're speaking about the Ken Wilbur um model and ideas, right? And
1: mm-hmm. yes.
0: I'm always curious because I, I have a good friend who uh found I, I I like Ken's work uh but I've had some women friends uh, be very put off by his yang energy. Um mm. and I'm wondering how you experience wilbur's thinking and not, not that it's yeah i, I won't uh, i won't color it only to say i i find it it's it's a fascinating model it's congruent with the way i see the world as well but any mm-hmm. reflections sort of from a you know shall we say a feminist perspective
1: yeah well i think the your friends are picking up on something that many of us have, and I think just to bring in levels of consciousness, there is some some aspect where Ken hasn't fully integrated his green. His, <laughs> so there is a there is a preference for integral and beyond, and I think there's some he doesn't spend as much time in his writing and his work to really look at the upside of feminism, of anti-racism theory, of, you know, se- you know, sexual orientation or sexuality studies, for example, like the kind of gifts of post-structuralism and feminism and critical race studies. Maybe he doesn't he doesn't give as much time and attention. He talks a lot about the shadow side of green and why it's getting us into trouble, and I think there's a real upside of that. I think he shed light on many, why so many organizations and cultural conversations are getting stuck right now in the sort of increased polarization around difference, because there is a, you know, there's an irony to green level consciousness where, you know, some may say, well, we're inclusive, you know, this is post-structuralism includes all, and yet there's still a Um, an ostracization of some elements of um, thought and perspective. And so I think, um, yeah, I've definitely had my, my challenges with some of his approaches and his writing and thought, oh, there's a lot that's invisible here and that he's not presencing. And, you know, I think taking a step back, I can appreciate that, like any of us, everything's partial, there are strengths to the approach, and there are real gifts. And ultimately, I'm, I'm his, his thinking and his framework changed the way I see the world. And I understand consciousness and I understand politics and I understand where we're getting into trouble in this moment.
0: So uh, I'm glad we had that little pause because I, I feel energized to ask the question that I posed in Venice in last April when I was invited by the World Health Organization to talk about a paradigm shift to well-being economics and my question to them was my up these are my observations what do we do with this predisposition for leaders to tend to be narcissistic in their behavior uh and supplemental question is um i seem to observe a kind of bipolarism in our political discourse um as you know a what what I might big words Hegelian dialectic, when in fact uh, there's a longing for something in the middle, you know. Um, no, it's not just black and white Republican Democrat. It's you know it's the spirit of the joy of the diversity of of opinion and and positions. So, just wondering if you have any reflections on that's another big theme. But uh, because when I ask some of my uh, friends and who know who work with narcissists, they say it's almost impossible to reform a narcissist. Uh, but if our leaders are predisposed that way, or they they you know the political systems tend to attract that kind of personality. Any reflections on this big <laughs> subject?
1: Well, I I don't know if I totally agree that, uh, you know, that, I mean, for sure, there are some narcissists in leadership, but I also think what I see in leaders is also a tremendous humility and curiosity and and a desire to be of service. Mm -hmm. But I think your point is, what do we do when there's such a polarization of perspectives and someone has a lot of charisma and not a lot of emotional agility or there's a very low capacity on the emotional line of development and interpersonal line of development where we don't have a lot of skills. Mm. And so that's, that's super challenging. And I would say that, you know, I think there's a lot of really good work around how do we, how do we work with difference such that we can appreciate the upsides of a perspective, or a set of ideas, we can appreciate that and validate that and also bring an alternative ideas to the table, and that we're able to stay with the trouble of the tension and allow something new to emerge. So I think it's developing our own internal capacities to be with our own range of emotions, to become really self-aware and understanding of like what drives us and also to accept and integrate those different parts of ourselves so that we can be with others in the moment Mm -hmm. out ostracizing or shaming the person in the room right because I don't think through that we're going to get anywhere
0: right well that's a beautiful reflection I wish I asked Preston Manning that once why are the deaths in our parliaments and our legislatures that rows across from each other oppositional? And he said, well, that's the way the British are always structured, but we know in none of it, and um, certainly in healthy indigenous cultures that I think they're uh, they they have that spirit of sitting in circle, and um, it doesn't matter how long it takes to discuss the subject, but we still have this very you know, I don't know what the right term is, but uh, oppositional uh, structure in which the best ideas should be, I think, in play at all times, right? Instead mm-hmm. of taking uh, ideological positions. But uh, as Preston Manning said, uh, uh, the existing members of our legislature may not have the courage to do or be the leaders of this new paradigm, but we can show them how. So I think that's uh fun thing maybe to end end on is like maybe that's our hope for a uh, you know a renewed democracy of conversation of good ideas and and restoring the wisdom of the seven at least the seven sacred teachings I understand which mm-hmm. they say that especially the female the el- female elders you know it starts with humility and it moves mm-hmm. through courage and wisdom and then ultimately love
1: yeah beautiful yeah I think there this moment is ripe right for composting what doesn't work and regenerating and renewing the creativity our, our capacity to be with difference and allow creativity and imagination to come to the forefront and be with the complexity and the challenges of this of this time and engaging our whole person or whole being jennifer. so yeah well-being, well being whole being
0: <laughs> well thanks jennifer and where can we find uh find out more about your work and
1: yeah great um come on over to my website www.sparkcoaching.ca and you can subscribe to my newsletter i send it out weekly it's called evolve and i do a lot of musings and you can Get advance notice of offerings there, and then tension of emergence. My podcast, which you can find anywhere you you listen to your podcasts, and season two kicks off April eleventh, twenty twenty three, and we are composting outdated versions of leadership. So it's going to be a juicy a juicy season. So All come right. join me. There.
0: I love that word composting because uh, <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of rich. <laughs> manure to work through (laughs) exactly
1: exactly
0: well thanks thanks so much for for joining me today that was fun you're
1: welcome thanks for having me
0: okay